Hey, it's Tim. Just letting you know, this week's episode is going to be a little longer, and it will be without the voices of me and Jared. It'll be Patrick and another voice, and they'll be talking about an upcoming conference and everything surrounding it, but I'll let them introduce themselves. Enjoy. And we are recording. Take it away, Patrick and Nas. Catch you on the flip side. I honestly thought Tim was going to introduce us, but I guess we're doing it all ourselves today. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) So first of all, that is the biggest cup of coffee I've ever seen anybody hold. It's like the size of your head. (laughs) And we're on the same time zone, right? Like it's five o'clock here. It's tea, not coffee. I, I don't think that that makes much of a difference. They're both oh. caffeinated. Uh, yeah, but uh, if a you know, Spanish espresso, a half a liter of it, I think it would kill most people. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, welcome to Components Nas. Uh, I'm Patrick Bozik, the your humble host of uh, Content Components with Patrick. Uh, and today we've got Nas Urbina on here. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Thank you very much, Patrick. So yes, uh, my name is Nazar Bina. I am a content strategist, uh, designer, and modeler. I've been in this content space for about 20 years now, um, starting in multi-format, multi-channel publishing, you know, with structured content ready for multiple formats. And that led me very naturally to think about how, what are we doing with all this? You know, not just how do we publish it, but what is the experience we're trying to create with it? Uh, and so that led me into customer journey mapping and uh, experience design, service design, and so on, which has kind of led naturally to the whole Omnichannel X thing, which we're going to talk a little bit more about today. All right, very good. So let's, uh, let's jump in. Um, so let's just start by kind of doing the what is. Right. So Omnichannel X, our, our biggest, uh, our big new kind of campaign we're running is the Omnichannel X is not for you. <laughs> which is uh, basically the concept behind that is, is we are trying to flip the usual concept of the conference on its head. Which, and the usual kind of definition of a good conference is, is it about uh, my job role? Is it about what I do? You know, does it, is it going to make me a better content strategist, technical writer, marketer, et cetera, et cetera. So, and, you know, we get even sub sub specifications like UX writer or or something like that. What Omni 8 Channel X is trying to do is kind of launch off, you know, my background as a consultant in Omnichannel, where it's the difference between Omnichannel and Multichannel is that uh, Multichannel is about publishing and Omnichannel is about creating user-centric experiences. So it's not about any one department or any job role. It's about how multidisciplinary teams or just teams, because every team, even if you're a you know, marketing team, technology documentation team, UX team, there's sub-disciplines within the teams. How do they work together to make an omnichannel experience happen? Uh, and that's the focus of the conference. So it's not about you or your job title. Uh, you have to be someone who wants to be able to say, hey, I, I'm here to talk about the customer and the customer experience and how we're going to work together to make it better. But the but you're but specifically the customer experience as it relates to the content they consume through these channels. No, there's a heavy emphasis on content because uh, I think that the, uh, content people feel the pain of omnichannel mm-hmm. first because 
they are sort of expected to have all their content just appear everywhere. Um, and no one, no, people don't really understand why it's so hard or complicated. Uh, so they are, they're kind of feeling the pinch, um, first. I don't think that people expect if you're an app designer or a website designer, et cetera, there's not the same kind of expectation that it's just so easy that you do a design for a website and then it just becomes an app. Whereas mm -hmm. that's what they expect from content people. They expect, you know, you wrote it and then now you should be able to put it wherever it needs to be. Uh, but it's actually much more complex than that. So that's why we're, we get a lot of content people. We have a lot of content people on the speaking, um, on the speaking uh, program, but it is not exclusively for that. Uh, so we want to get the designers there. We want to get even some of the more technical uh, kind of systems people there. Mm -hmm. If they're the kind of people who can actually talk about how what they do relates to the other roles you know we don't it's, we don't want to have a technical conference but we do want to have uh the systems people in the room to talk about how technology needs to change or how it needs to support uh content and design so the the big two the bit the, the four pillars are content design governance and systems so we have mainly content and design people but if you don't have governance and systems and you don't have governance systems people to help out then the other two fall on their face i mean you get started anyway so what are, what's what, what kind of uh if it's not for you you know it's it's four teams as you're as you're describing here it's like it's not and is the not for you are you specifically trying to say like this isn't just for you this is for your teams this is for your for your customer for your whoever Exactly. exactly. Got it. And so yeah. how do you guys go about facilitating more of a, a team-based approach in a, an online conference, basically? Um, we are, this year we're online. So I want to keep keep this in mind that this, we've been online. We were one of the first conferences in our industry to go online uh, due to COVID last year. We, you know, we pivoted from a physical conference to an online conference in about 80 days. Yep, I remember that. That was a wackadoodle. Um, yeah. And we are online again this year, but we will be going back to hybrid uh, next year. So depending on when you're listening to this, in 2021, we're still online. But beyond that, we are gonna we have lots of ideas about how to be an omni-channel hybrid com conference. So the question was, how do you make it for teams? Um, we coach all of the speakers uh, and, you know, we put a lot of work in. We ask a lot of our speakers in terms of putting in time with us to talk about, you know, the references that they make, the, you know, the books that they recommend. Like we have some speakers who get up there and they name drop people. They just mentioned this author or that thought leader. Or, you know, we all know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, or they use acronyms left, right and center, which are specific mm -hmm. to marketing or content strategy or sure. tech com. And, you know, we, we do dry runs and we coach them and we, go, and we just keep reminding people, you're not talking to your people. Yeah. You're talking about uh, a solution that you did, an experience that you had, and you're bringing kind of your own case study to educate the others in the room, but don't rely on all these references that everybody, everyone's read all the same books or, you know, follows the same blogs or anything like that. Um, so that's this one aspect in terms of how we focus on making sure that content works for teams and the other thing is is just uh the the whole concept you know we try to facilitate a lot of discussion time we have much more interactive sessions we've got um you know 
attendee-led sessions where they get to choose the topics and kind of lead the discussion. Mm-hmm. And every talk has is, is aiming to be shorter and have a much more kind of post-talk discussion time than I think you would get at, at your usual conference. Yeah, so, you know, I think the, the natural thing that makes me wonder is like, I feel like most conferences today, like they want to go deep on something. Um, and, you know, I think that it's interesting that you guys are in a lot of, is it fair to say you guys are going like broad more? Like you're kind of like, you want to um, create connections across groups more than you want to create like deep knowledge within specific groups? Or is that, is it a mischaracterization? Well, I would say we go deep into things that have broad appeal. So uh topics like content operations or mm-hmm. metrics or uh, uh collaboration or stakeholder management or uh modular content um structure and metadata we can go deep into these topics because no matter what team you're in those things are apply- will apply to you like everybody's got to share how we categorize things or else we can't collaborate everyone's mm-hmm. got to be more process oriented. You know, we have to have better governance and racy charts, like deciding who gets to make what decisions. And we all have to manage change. Uh, We all have to get our data together and, and, and try to pull the analytics and try to measure the sum total of what we've done. So we can go deep into those topics because they affect a lot of people. So I don't think that it's just that we're going broad versus deep. We're just not going role specialized. We're going subject specialized. Okay, that's a, I think that's fair. I, you know, I think that you know that's kind of interesting. So, like my talk is on content ops or content operations, um, and I, I, one of the things that I've definitely had a challenge in as I've I've been putting this talk together has really been finding that balance because you know my talk kind of starts off as like what is content ops? So you're like 101 to like delivering value to people who already kind of understand some of the, the systems and things that are in place. And like you said, like the talks, the talks are shorter, right? They're like, they're aimed to be, you know, 30 minutes or, you know, if you, if you can squeeze a couple extra 34 minutes. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting format for those things. And I, you know, I, I, I will tell you that I like it. Like, I think it's very, it's, it's cool how this content, this conference comes together. Um, or at least I did last year. We'll see how this one goes. No pressure. Um, and, um, but I do, I do think that it remains a challenge. Like I think it's, it's, it's tough to have to speak to a room that isn't your people when you want to really, you know, sink your teeth into something. Like I think that, that there, there is a, a natural tension there. Um, you know, I mean, like, I know how you've interacted with me over this, like on this, but like, have you found that with other speakers who've come to this? Yeah, a lot of speakers have had to have, you know, several reminders, like, so mm-hmm. the, the, like the name dropping and speaker, speakers will want to relate to their audience. And that's natural. You know, if, if you're a good speaker, you're trying mm-hmm. to form a connection. And so they form a connection versus what usually they share. And so, yeah, the conference kind of takes that away from them. And so it does throw off, uh, throw off a lot of speakers. Um, but in a, I think in a good way, it makes everybody sharpen their game and rethink things. I think that the, I don't want to, I don't want to 
speak badly of any of the conferences because I love a lot of the other conferences and I go to the other conferences and I speak at the other conferences. Uh, but what I found was lacking, <laughs> what I found was lacking was um, it's very easy to kind of talk to each other and kind of big up ourselves and, you know, talk about how we're, you know, if, if, if everyone just understood how valuable, you know, insert your job title here is, then the world would be a better place. And, mm -hmm. and my perspective as a consultant has always been, you cannot get change to happen at any significant level and you can't get on a channel to happen if you go in with that attitude. If you right. go in, if you go in selling the value of insert job title here, then you're, you're always fighting for resource and power and attention with the rest of the group. If you go in saying, okay, team, how are we going to do this? How are we going to make it happen for the customer? Then, then that, oh, that whole thing goes away. So that is, although that throws people off at first, it usually makes them kind of rethink and up their game and actually speak to a wider audience, which enables the attendees to take those lessons and then go back and talk to their boss or their colleagues in a better, more effective way. Yeah, I, I think one of the other things that, that I think is in kind of the same vein there is that understanding breeds collaboration. And I think one of the challenges, especially content people have ha always had, is um, most people don't understand, right? So it's like, you know, it's, it's a thing which is so taken for granted in so many cases. Um, and that's, I think, I think there's, you know, I think we could sit here and talk about why that is um, for the next four hours and we're not going to, so don't get started. Um, but, you know, I think it also is one of those things where you go to these conferences and you, you see at the content conferences, there's talks every single year on how to let people know that you're valuable. And it's not that you need to go and like convince people you're valuable. It's that you need to go and spread understanding about what it is that you do. And I think that like there's an interesting piece of, of, of omni-channel and, and how it's, it's, it's approaching that problem. I think that's, that's fundamental. Uh, it, it, you know, uh, for content people, which probably be most listeners of this podcast, I can't stand the phrase content is king. <laughs> you know, I can't take it. I can't take it. And I can't. Like this, the whole thing about, you know, and I did it and I've got a, you know, people go to, this is, you know, people can Google up old clips of me. <laughs> I'm sure I'll look like an idiot because, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. So my thinking has evolved in the last uh, decade or so where I've just, I just said, stop saying that because imagine if someone walked up and said it to you and just, you know, if, if you're, you know, if your UX designer came in and said, design is king, like, or, or, you know. Your, your IT folks said software is king. Like, don't, just don't do that. That's not how you get people on board. Yeah. Um, and as, as you can show the value of what you do, but this, this uh, you know, that's why we got, that's why we, why we came up with a not about you thing. You know, it's not, it's not for fighting for the recognition of insert job title here. It's for sharing the understanding of what impact that has on the overall experience of the audience, be that internal, external, you know, uh, you know, for internet content, knowledge bases for support, uh, product content, content marketing, whatever it is. Um, we want to show the value in those terms, not show the value in terms of 
now we have proven how valuable we are, but our, what our what we do is. Um, well, okay. So one of the things I, I like that you said there, um, which nobody is going to find surprising, is that you talked about the fact that this isn't just about external experience, but this is about internal experience too. And one of the things that I, I feel like has really been lost in the conversation around experience as it relates to, you know, the whole organization, right? Like the whole, uh, the community and like a good company uh, thinks of its employees and its customers as being part of the same community, right? Like it's, it's not, it's not us versus them. It's not them and us. Like it's, there's not this, like, there's, there's a, there's a distinction clearly, obviously one works for you, one doesn't, but like, it's not this hard border with people standing on both sides. And I think one of the most forward thinking things that we can do, especially as people who are looking at different channels of delivering experiences um, or delivering things that cause experiences, excuse me. Um, and if anybody wants to know why that's a thing, they can come to my talk and I will, I will cite Nas in that talk um, is that they can remember that the experiences that they give to their, to their people, to the people that are, um, that are employees to their um, that translates out to how they treat customers. Right. So the more educated your employees, the more properly trained, the more, um, you know, um, resource rich they are, the better they're going to, their interactions are going to be with the, with the broader community. Um, and I, I do think that like that really plays into omni-channel because your channels are internal and external. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I believe it's Gina Ballarin who quotes, uh, the current CEO of Microsoft, um, his name is not coming to me, uh, but uh, he said that empathy breeds innovation. You know, we, by understanding the other person, then we can think of better solutions. If we, if we are coming to it just with our own perspective and bias, we don't think of the good ideas. You know, the, the, the good light bulbs don't go off. We have to understand the other person. We have to um, be educated and care about others and, um, you know, I'm not going to go on this, my tirade, but I could, <laughs> about how I think that that's fundamental to everything that's going on in the world right now. You know, it's, it's right now we've, we're separating and separating as we connect and we have to come back and come back to fundamentals like understanding and empathy to make that better. Yeah. And I mean, I would be happy to join you in that tirade. Um, but um, it's, it's, inter it's, it's interesting. And, and I don't know if this, so I, I will, I will just, um, dance past that tirade very quickly is it, it might relate to this conversation. Um, it's, it's interesting, the whole like separating thing. And I do think that that somewhat happens inside of our communities, right? Like our business communities, like the community that our business creates and people get different messages, right? So like, that's the thing that, that omni-channel in a lot of ways is trying to resolve is that you get the same message everywhere you go. So there's, you know, there's consensus across these things. Like if you go and you learn something because somebody delivered you a course, um, you're going to get the same message as when you go to, you know, reference something or you talk to somebody about it, right? Like there's not, there's not a difference of understanding across those things. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, especially in like large, large brands, right? Where like, you know, they're not managing this for a single product or something like that. You know, I do think the fact that people get separated digitally and even though we may have closer physical proximity in a lot of cases, like digital proximity has allowed us to be so far away from each other. I think there's risk in that everywhere. And that can even be inside of the smaller, you know, communities that we create 
And I think that, you know, some of the stuff that we talk about around the channel probably can assist with that. No? Uh, yeah, well, if you think about it, like, uh, I, I always, I, I talk about, on a smaller scale, like if you owned, if you owned a mom and pop restaurant mm-hmm. and you couldn't keep your, your social, your various social accounts, your Google map data, your own website. And maybe if you have an, maybe you have an email that people can sign up for or a blog, if you couldn't keep your facts straight or when things changed, even across those, that would be confusing and, and negative for your staff and for your your customers and if you scale that up to a multinational it just gets worse and worse uh, it's it's the the potential for confusion or loss of brand equity when uh, different groups operate within fiefdoms is really bad for for relationships you, you know I think the the mom and pop restaurant example is, is a really interesting example in this context, especially if you go back a couple of years. So you think about going to Google and, you know, looking up a restaurant and wanting to see the menu and it's still not great, but it used to be horrendous on Google. You click view the menu and it'd be wrong, right? It would be a PDF. Or, or I mean like, or for a while, Google had a thing where it was trying to read the PDFs and like show them to you in a way or something like that. But it would oh, often I miss be that. like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would just be wrong. Like it would yeah. be, it would be out of date. It'd be something else. I mean, it actually happened to me the other night. I tried to order something from a restaurant here in Krakow, you know, because I'm I'm in Europe right now, and I haven't ordered from them since the last time I was here, which was like eight months ago. And they don't have this thing because of the pandemic. And you know, apparently I like it, but nobody else does, so they took it off their menu. So the point is that um, when you have these these interactions where there's inconsistencies in the digital content that's put out you lose trust. And the thing that I've watched myself do over time with store hours, with locations to some extent, with menus as it all as it relates to, to restaurants is that I don't trust certain channels. I don't trust certain things. And I don't, I don't necessarily even trust the business in the same way. And that creates friction in my experience. So I don't, it, it, it can change my buying patterns. It can change my interaction patterns. And then you think about, like you said, like scaling that up to a, to a whole enterprise. And when you start to talk about like brand identity, I think one of the things that that, that word to me is always like, well, what does that really mean? Like, you know, like, but it really comes down to trust is the basis of interacting with a brand, interacting with each other, interacting. I mean, I could go on, I could go on a whole, t- one of my favorite tirades on how trust is the foundation of all societal interactions and the benefit that routes back to common law in the UK and the legal system and how that creates trust and why that's the, the source of prosperity, not anything else like blah, 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 Right. Um, but like that really is what we're, when we're, when you're talking about, about brand equity, it's really coming down to like trust and trust is built by consistency and accuracy. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Um, I quote, uh, I believe it was Forrester. I'd have to look it up. Uh, Forrester or Gartner who, uh, basically did a big study on 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 brand and i know i know people can, can just have an allergic reaction to that word sometimes as if it was such a fluffy thing but brand is 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 what enables people as you said to trust and believe the content that that's it's reputational you know if if you go on somebody's extranet or knowledge base or look at someone's manual and you've had a series of bad experiences 
you'll either never open it again, or you'll never open it with the same mindset. You'll never go into it with the same mindset. And that's how it applies across the spectrum, no matter what the, the department. Uh, our first keynote uh, on the first year was Lisa Welchman, and she wrote Managing Chaos. And it, she's it, so the first keynote, the first inaugural conference was about governance, like the least sexy, least fun part of anything we do. Because if you can't, don't have policies and procedures and clear roles and decision-making hierarchies within the and 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 areas of responsibility within the within the organization, then the whole operation is not trustable. Um, it can't sustain itself and be consistent. Oh, sorry, I didn't get to the quote. So the Forrester Gartner basically what they said was the unsexy result summary is consistency is the basis of good experiences you know as long as you meet expectations everything's good you don't have to like there was a lot of talk about delight and exceeding etc for for a few years uh and that they're coming back to it and going no set the expectation meet the expectation be consistent be reliable and people will be loyal uh they'll they'll be loyal to a brand that they're not 100% happy with Yep. more than a brand that occasionally delights and occasionally fails. And, you know, I think that why we were led so astray in that concept of brand is because of like the 80s and 90s where brand was Marlboro and it was Coca-Cola and it mm -hmm. was, you know, like, and we thought of brand as being, you know, the Pepsi, you know, Super Bowl commercial. Like yeah. we thought of it as being like, I'm a Pepsi person or I'm a Coca-Cola person. Like the brand is the value of like how much people identify with a particular product, but it's not brand is a proxy for trust for exactly. most of us, for like the vast, vast, vast majority. When I say us, I mean companies like, sure. It's still a thing for Coca-Cola and Pepsi, but who cares? Like, you know, they're, they're like, they're the outliers. Right. But that's, mm -hmm. that's our concept of brand. And it's not, it doesn't apply to most organizations. It's just a proxy for trust. Yeah. So the, 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 kind of the meta mission of the conference is an extension of the meta mission of Verbena Consulting, which is helping brands have really kind of relationships with people like people have with each other, you know, and right. coming back to fundamentals. Like, can I trust you? Do I say accept cookies on your, on your, on your sites? Do I log in? Do I give you my data? Do I, you know, how do I feel every time one of your emails comes in? And that that's brand. Uh, our, our, um, this year we have MasterCard, uh, Selena de la Cruz, and she's mm -hmm. doing something specifically on how you design. She's a content designer, so right on the right on the border of two of our big pillars. How do you design for trust? And she, Mastercard has got to get people to, for example, scan their passport into their phone. So how do you write and present your content so that people feel comfortable doing that? Um, and brand. And she said, you know, lean into your brand. She says, if you've got a brand. Uh, like MasterCard, just say it. And because they tried calling it like MasterCard something something, or calling it like IdentiSafe or whatever I don't remember what the name was, and and they kind of downplaying the MasterCard brand, and they found it was much less effective if they could just people know MasterCard as a name, put it out there front and center, and people go, oh yeah, I trust them, and then everything else from that point forward is is, is so much easier. You know, I've actually had that experience. I think it was with MasterCard where they had like this web thing for a while that they called something else and yes. like way down the little corner, it would say MasterCard. But when it first pop up, it's like, I'd be like, well, who's this? Like, yeah. I don't know who this is. Like, 
And then you'd like go and I would Google it and you'd be like, Oh, okay. I guess it is actually MasterCard. Oh, all right. I mean, yeah. yes, I trust MasterCard, but like, <laughs> I trust them more than like whoever I thought this was, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, and, and, but then you're going, well, why did they do that? It, it right. actually hurts your relationship with MasterCard because you, you went in with a pretty good attitude. And right. then, then you do this Googling going, why is MasterCard hiding their own brand? And that, that seeds doubt. Right. And you're, you're like, you're, it's just raising all these weird questions. Like what is, you know, what is this other thing that they're doing now? Is this a program by MasterCard? Did they buy somebody who does this? Like, exactly. you, you know, like, am I going to find this on the website? Like, how can I click through to learn more about this? Like, it's, it's just like, it's a rabbit hole, right? Yeah, but precisely. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, that's a, that's an, that's an interesting and fun tangent. <laughs> so that's a, so that's a content perspective. So Karina Battaglia is yeah. the country manager from Microsoft and mm-hmm. she is one of our uh, keynotes and she's going to talk about how, Rather than trying to get the company to sell you the features and the benefits of the products, she fosters what she calls uh, nano influencers. So she gets, you know, examples from companies where where they have successfully used. You know how they always say everyone uses ten percent of the functionality in a Microsoft product. She finds the people who've used thirty percent, and she puts them in front of the other people, <laughs> and she and and she specifically says there's no no holds barred. You don't have to say anything and we, and you don't have to hide anything. Tell them your real story of how the ups and the downs of how you started using it more. And maybe that they will, they will uh, be able to learn from that story. And it's been a runaway success because the customers are the channel. The customers become the channel for the knowledge and they trust each other in a way that is different than they could ever trust Microsoft, but Microsoft kind of rides the wave of that because they're facilitating this open dialogue where everyone's learning more. Uh, and so that's it's it's something that I think any brand could learn from, and any department could learn from because it's how you get people to buy into change. Hmm. She's one of your keynotes. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch that one. I think I'm gonna like that. That's yeah. a really interesting. And yeah, she's like, not she's not using PowerPoint. <laughs> she's, she's using. Not. She's she's using Microsoft Whiteboard, at, so she uses no slides. Oh, interesting. So she's gonna whiteboard while she's doing it. Uh, the whiteboard's mainly ready. The whiteboard's already done. I think she's yeah. She's gonna be one of the ones who's uh gonna be more interactive. She's gonna be an interactive keynote. I'm really looking forward to seeing how this goes because huh. she's gonna be talking to people, uh, you know, asking questions while she while she gives her keynote. Which I'm really excited about her. I am also really excited about this. Awesome. When when is when is she doing this? So uh, the whole well, so we haven't talked to so the, the fundamentals of the conference. The conference is workshops on June eighth, and then conference 9th, tenth, and eleventh. Mm-hmm. We're running a long agenda this this year so that people from various time zones can participate. With um, as I said, much more discussion time, longer breaks, reduce uh, you know online meeting fatigue. Etc. So that so June eighth to eleventh workshops are on the eighth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Microsoft session, I believe. Let me see here. Yes. So Microsoft is opening the, the last day. So she is um, on June June eleventh at ten fifteen in the morning. Ten fifteen and who's morning? Uh, t- sorry, ten fifteen Central European time. Hmm. Okay, so uh, probably for me at that point in time, a little too early, but there will be a recording. Absolutely. So 
everybody who signs up gets access to um, all of the recordings. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's for a year. And we will be doing transcripts. They're, they're going to be automatic transcripts. So they're not going to be 100%, but they're absolutely uh, readable. You get transcripts, slides, and recording access um, with your ticket. Very cool. Are you guys doing any, are you in Slack? Are you doing LinkedIn? Like how are you doing like the social interaction? So Slack this year, we tried LinkedIn last year and it was, it's too slow. It was, yeah. it's not designed for real time yeah. uh, interactivity. So we're definitely going to lean in heavily to Slack this year. Cool. Uh, people can, of course, very happy for people to post on LinkedIn and to tweet and stuff. And sure. and a lot of people will be kind of moving the, the deep networking into uh, LinkedIn, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But the, the conference official platform will be Slack. And then people can chat, of course, in the actual Zoom sessions. All right. Now, so now that we've convinced everybody that this is the best use of their time in the very near future as it relates to conferences, let's tell them how they can go and get registered. Awesome. All right. So they have two options. So as we are on the uh, Jorsic Easy Did Up podcast, they can register with your sponsor code, which is uh, DISC, D-I-S-C for discount. 30 and that will get them 30 percent off on any package that they go for including workshops or if they're very quick they can go to bit.ly so that's bit.ly slash ox dash ez dash flash for one of three potential uh free tickets so it's first come first serve check the show notes give it a shot um and if you register there, the first three registrants will get a free ticket, uh, which they can then add workshops to. So that uh, that should be good. Encouraging you to act fast. I like it. I like it a lot. It'll be in the show notes. So if you missed it, you don't have to rewind and scribble that down. Um, you can always just click. That's great. And I'm going to be presenting, which is going to be a ton of fun. My presentation will be on June 10th, which is a Thursday. And it's going to be at 3.15 European time. So that's going to be 9 a.m., 9.15 a.m. Eastern time. And super, super early if you're on the West Coast. But it is recorded. So check it out when you wake up. I'm sure it's the best thing you can do with your coffee. Thanks for being here, Naz. This was a ton of fun. Um, And looking forward to the conference. I think it's going to be great. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. See everybody there. All right. See you later.